Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. The Helpers, written by Hypothetical Shagoth. The colony had been doing well. The scout teams had confirmed a lack of especially problematic bioforms, both large and microbial. Of course, there were some, but they were manageable. With the standardized hunting and medical equipment, the Colonization Bureau ensured every permitted colony ship left with... The satellite grid had burned off more than one ship and had sought to poach supplies from the founding colony, or even the colonists themselves. The seasons had carried some surprises, but that's what being in a colony entailed. They survived several orbits of the local star with a low casualty rate of a crew who knew what their business was about. The colony wasn't a paradise by any means, but it was home. Or at least, that's what the archaic word for some of the colonists' deep history translated as. Later analysis of the surviving data aboard the satellites that had been over the horizon when the incident occurred indicated that it was a fluke for what comfort it gave to the survivors. An alignment of moons, the plane, the star, and the main transmission dish sending a weak report or two central... What it meant, though, was that the alignment of magnetic fields, transmission ionizing channels, and a fluke solar flare, or at just the right time, meant that the colony was struck by a city-sized cross between a record-setting bolt of lightning and an extremely aggressive aurora event. Experts throughout the Concordian agreed that it was the most aesthetic calamity documented to date. Few of the surviving colonists indicated this was any consolation. All Coral Nestrite knew was that he was sleeping, and then there was light and noise. At first, he thought that the home's reactor had failed in some dramatic fashion, and it was his time to wander the labyrinth paradise. He reflected that it was fortunate that he led a fairly blameless life, so his labyrinth would lack the demos and cunning traps legendary cinders had faced. Then, as the light and the noise continued, wires and electronics at his home arcing and hissing puffs of smoke, he reflected that if the reactor had gone up, the reaction would have consumed him and everything for a day's drive, and he wouldn't have had time for a theological pondering. The last thing that occurred to him that night was that either he was flying or his roof was coming down on him. Darkness returned, but silence yielded the night of sounds of setting debris and the calls of injured and frightened. Dawn broke and washed over the broken here and there. Survivors dug through the debris, looking for more and more neighbors, or wept, standing on reclining a relative safety. Occasional shimmers filled the air, possibly the aftermath of the storm, and the debris shifted. Lightweight hab shell, which apparently took the brunt of the calamity, but still big, still heavy. On the established world's heavy materials would have crushed the maimed of far more citizens, and far worse. Here, where emergencies were expected, there was still hope. Nestrite had been in the quakes and avalanches before. This was not the first building that had fallen on him. 
but his thick, leathery hide objected now as he had each time before. He shifted his semi-pneumatic bones, trying to reconfigure his limbs for better leverage. Habshell might be light, but that's only by comparison to other permanent construction materials. Some heaving, some writhing, and some sacrifice of some of his sleep where saw nest right free of the walls that had landed on him, now able to survey the damage. The damage was, in his experienced perception, substantial. He panned, clicking to himself, and failed to find any building standing close enough to him to see. Further, aside from the weird traces and numbness left over from whatever happened last night, his long whiskers failed to pick up any of the previously constant and comforting hum and flow of electronics. Whatever had happened last night, it had crippled even the hardened electronics of the budding colony. This was novel, but colony disasters tended to be. Nestrite shifted his hands into broad flippers and began to pat himself down. Good, not leaking anything important, in any worrisome quantity. He was certain that many of his more solid neighbors were in worse shape. There was work to be done. Big events drew attention, and where there's destruction, there's death. There are scavengers who seek to take advantage. Before the day wore on too long, a messenger ship from the Central had blinked through the sky, checking what had interrupted the update, and promising aid as soon as it could be mustered, before tearing through off a report. Shortly after, the scavengers arrived. No slavers, nor any of the sentient taste better crowd. The colony was in an area protected just enough to keep those at bay. No... These scavengers came with cargo holds full of archaic equipment, ancient rations, and medical supplies of dubious provenance, offering aid in exchange for salvage rights and not waiting for a response. There's always a disaster somewhere in civilized space, and the quickest of the scavengers got the few fistfuls of valuables before authority arrived. So things were just getting better for Homer. Something was making Nestrite's whiskers itch. But he wasn't complaining. By following this sensation, he kept finding friends, neighbors, and fortunate strangers as the debris slid, shifted, or in some cases got caught in the wind and fell away from them. He ignored the fact that there didn't seem to be much wind, because the thought of helpful ghosts wasn't, well, helpful right now. For that matter, neither were the... Uh, Volunteers who'd parked around the edges of the colony, who largely seemed more interested in retrieving the valuables from the fallen structures than the owners who may still be pinned under the heavier piles. The best that could be done for them right now is to memorize their hull codes and hope that they could be reported and fined before the codes were scrubbed and replaced. With a sigh, Nestrite flexed his hand. Once again, forming the sort of shapeless pseudopod that could form to fit any tiny dents and scratches, and slowly heaved the large sheet of hab shell. He'd heard pained noises under this heap that one of the volunteers had sniffed at, then passed up as too heavy. Not before taking a fistful of the locally crafted glow-pal jewelry from the deeper part of the debris mind. And one would think something that looked like a squid with a thick exoskeleton would be braver than shifting debris. But apparently, that armor was just for show. Thus, Nestrite's day continued, following the faint buzzing in his whiskers back and forth through the colony, digging out who he called, and setting more of his friends on their last sojourn that they preferred. Time to think about that later, 
they were still living to dig out. Eventually, Nestwright got to the building that he'd been dreading, by the itching on his whiskers was insistent. Many of the colonists had come from a hive species, or others of the communal breeding upbringing patterns. Others still had young that required specific environmental conditions until they reached a certain age. A few, perhaps predictably, from how they volunteered to go off and found a colony, were just kind of awful at being parents. In any case, many of the colony's young were housed in the crash. In theory, it was the next best thing to an actual bunker in the colony. They had have shell plating with seams and breakpoints designed to absorb and disperse impacts, and theoretically collapse in a controlled manner, twisting and sliding so that the precious ones inside would be relatively protected. Be that as it may, it made his whiskers curl with blood-seething frustration and a rage to see volunteers heavily thumping over the mound, stripping spent electronic components for salvage rather than digging for children. He had expected that it be a priority one for those core wood of home. Otherwise, he would have been here sooner. He approached one of the denser of the volunteers, turned on him, and raised its massive armored claws, threatening posture at what he perceived to be a competition for raw materials, rather than another coming to aid in the recovery. Lovely. Hopefully, it would have listened to reason and understood trade. Those claws were worryingly large. Hi, friend. The children place dig need. Save many children's speculative modifier. See you, friend. See you the biggest heap. You know what the biggest heap spoiled treasure. Move along, you, friend. Heap is mine. Nestwright sighed and made a placating sign, shrinking his pneumatics to look smaller, less threatening. That was the first belligerent scavenger that he'd had the honor of meeting, but he never enjoyed having to go on to the vigorous negotiations with them. With a large tool or a piece of debris in hand, those claws on its head had really been quite worryingly large. He picked a likely-seeming support beam from the edge of the structural debris and started picking his way through the scavenger for negotiations round two. When it turned and bellowed, it breath rancid and gutter quality narcotics. Great. Bringing the beam in his hand around in a defensive position, Nestride noticed his whiskers were itching for him to move now, and then they surged. And behind the drug-addled crab sloth, there was an intense snap-crack of electricity as a smaller, washfish alien made itself known. The crab sloth spasmed on its feet for a few moments, then slouched down and rolled off to the ruining building, hitting several solid chunks of hab-shell on its way down. Around Nestrite, in the fading light, dozens of other small, lean aliens shimmered and became visible in what appeared to be a utility armor. It was clearly... Too light to be combat armor, but had been firm, sturdy. Look to it, with the emergency services everywhere war. All right, who let Tompkins bring the taser on a clean-up and rescue mission? You all know that he's the division skippy. This was plainly not their own language, but scholar-grade trade. Crisp and mechanical, transmitted from speakers of their suits. For his benefit, then, making them people, not threats. Nestrite thrummed his vocal pouch. So, you lot helping digging out child place, yes? The one who had spoken stood straighter and made a gesture that it only could be a salute, even if the bones and the body were all in the wrong places. Yes, it's a bit more overt than we were planning on, but seeing how we've been made, Nestrite could feel the glare at Tompkins' direction through the opaque faceplate's glass. 
We can now go fully task and getting the mess cleaned up. If you could tell us where everything is, we can get the debris out the way. A triage center set up for the wounded and the hesitation, then a cough, remains for the proper vital rights. Just speak with me and the rest can go to task. Truth be told, they'll be glad to work openly. None of this lucky shift of debris or whispering hints to workers. We do prefer to work more openly, but um, our kind hasn't been welcome in the concordant space for several generations. Fortunately, we have an understanding with your fleets. We don't get caught helping in emergencies, and they don't object to us helping in emergencies. Awkward, but it works. An old story came up in Nestrite's mind. Of a species that had come to the Concordium's attention long ago. Brash and mad, vibrant and defiant. Exactly the kind of trouble the Concord Treaty sought to curtail. With all the cultural frictions that came with meeting so many races, there were fundamentally other. Factions of this new race had sought to join the Concordian. Others to conquer through various means. In the end, there was violence, fire... Fury and blood, and they were chased from the Concordian space. Their final message had been garbled, but their translators agreed that many of them included. Back to our own arm, hookers and blackjack. Though there was a notable minority that insisted that there had also been messages of back for waffles. Whatever that meant. Few took any of the messages seriously. The species had been erratically, reliably so. Now they were back and apparently running covert rescue missions throughout the Concord. Once he was done giving directions to the odd little aliens, Nestrite paused, then asked the question that had been bothering him. Why? The commander was looking out into the darkness, now pushed back by the rear torches that had been set out orderly along the colony streets, bringing light to the recovery operations. The scavengers, who were being less than helpful, Nestrite noticed, were being left in the dark. Also, Tompkins was periodically coming back to the commander with pouches of jewelry and expensive salvage that he had persuaded the nice scavengers to leave. Tompkins' stunner was starting to smell hot from repeated use. Why? Because we can, because we believe that helping those who need it allows us to be the best of our race's potential. Because we're needed, because it shows Central that we're not just bandits and pirates and organizers of flash mob most squanderous. Because it gives people like Tompkins over there something constructive to do. And because back in our history, when we were subject to the whims of this kind of disaster, we were directed to look for helpful people in scenes of shocking tragedy. To raise those ones up, to hold them dear, to, if and when our bodies or circumstances allowed for it, become them. To help others as best we can. Some, many of us took up the rule to live by, Nestrite pondered. That, uh, that is a noble rule. Behind him, there was another snap of electricity and a thud. Apparently, a scavenger from earlier had borne a grudge. Fortunately, Tompkins still bore his stunner. More of a guideline, but we still try. We'll do right by your colony and clear out shortly before the aid from Central gets here. If you ever need help again, we'll be around, and it's a small galaxy these days, and we try to look out for our neighbors. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed it. 
And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.